This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down scripture and biblical topics to make them easy to understand and inspire a conversation that is ultimately glorifying to God. We pray that this content blesses you, challenges you, and edifies you in your faith. So have a seat at the table, and without further ado, let's get into the show. Can we start recording, please? <laughs> Good morning. Oh my gosh, this is so annoying. You guys are always late. Whoa! Call, just kidding. I'm just kidding. His name Mara. How's it going, guys? It's oh, good. I, I it was going I'm good good. until I came to this ministry of condemnation that you two got going on. Smokes. There's no <laughs> condemnation in Christ. I'm just playing. I'm not. I'm playing. I, I don't I'm know. Playing. I got more sleep last night than I feel like I have in a while. Same. I feel rested, dude. It was weird. I feel like I got absolutely none. Finally turned that AC oh, on. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Just now? Mm-hmm. Dog, my AC's been on since fe- February. Frugality. Bro. As soon as it's like the temperature real? one time went above like or went below or above sixty. What? Oh yeah, dude. I'm a polar bear, Bubba. You're tribbing. Are you serious? Tribbing. Serious as cancer, dude. Dude, no. I, that AC I, I live seven. in a first world country by God's grace, and I will live that life. <laughs> I pay for the air conditioning. I pay for the electricity. That's the thing is, I don't want. And pay I will it. jack that thing up. We ain't, we ain't gonna suffer. You also it's have five right. kids, so the suffering's for the different. tribulation. There's a lot of body heat yeah. in that house, dog. It, yeah, we have an attic fan. He's got so we've like been using 50, that, and I got three children. kids that are like becoming teenagers. A little circulation's a good thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> we just had the the okay, kids. Every day's a shower day now. Like every day's a deodorant. Day yeah, <laughs> wear deodorant mm-hmm. because if you don't, you're gonna be mm-hmm. the smelly kid. The incense not smelling good. It's going up before me every day. I've been, gosh, I've been thinking about that uh, since we practiced worship the other day. That song, I love, I love that song. Oh yeah, worthy of it all. Worthy of it all. Shane and Shane are are sick. It's amazing. Didn't you say Shane and Shane was interviewed by uh, another brother? That yeah, Caleb podcast? Gordon with the um, Northfield podcast. Yeah, we well, don't have to tell him that we just gave him a shout out. Dog. Yeah, that's right. Shout out to Caleb Gordon in Cedarville, Kansas. First Baptist, I think. First beat. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, everything going good this week, though. Yeah. For the audience, and especially those of us that are in our local body, if we really jack it up and worship this, this Sunday, please don't leave negative reviews. <laughs> <laughs> that that worship team does not represent At The Table Podcast. Right. <laughs> right. Nobody would have made that connection until you just told our entire audience that. You just doxed us. We're going to have our brother that's listening or sister in Qatar jump on the live feed and be like, yo, <laughs> I am disfollowing <laughs> this podcast now. He's going to get on there, and he's just going to see drumsticks just snapping and flying. It's true. I, Probably. I, I mean, John is the only person I've ever seen go through seven drumsticks And in he one broke a service. kick drum. If that's not Pentecostal, I don't, I don't know, know what it is. is. Straight up. Dude. I'm just saying, call me the woodchuck. Dude, ran out of the service, ran back in with, with duct tape. tape to fix the drum. Yeah. That's how Straight we up. do like, it. Dude, on just, Easter Sunday, like right. the Super Bowl of church. <laughs> <laughs> That's re- that made me sad a little bit. Like, oh, it really is, unfortunately, the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> let's just recall all of John's transgressions in front of everybody. You have uh, more we can. to pick from? Well, anymore? he's constantly late. What? Oh, my God. What? Ever. You think he ever stands feeling accused? I think that that's just you. I think you're the empath. Trace the accuser of the brethren. Dude, I have literally put your stone down. I'm sorry. Creek is called Trace. I have been, yeah, I've been called Satan in about four different ways this morning. (laughs) I'm starting to feel some type of way about that. Like, (laughs) growing my hair out, like, everybody tells John, you look like Jesus. You know what they tell me? You look like Judas. It's sick, dude. Honestly, I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, they look at me like you look like Judas. I'm like, n- how do you even have an idea of what Judas looks like? And bro, why is it attributed? I, and to why me? is it always long hair? I have, <laughs> I have never enjoyed being called Catholic Jesus, but I'll take Peter and Catholic Jesus over Judas. Yeah, hey, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I rebuked Noah for it. I was like, dude, come on. 
Come on. You can't call me. I feel me like Judas. you're more of a John Wick. Or did something. you did you buke him before you rebuked him? I did not. Oh. He I did went straight to rebuke. Badums. Anyway, so our last episode, <laughs> that was Dr. Gates' interview. Hope everybody loved that. Yeah. I know we certainly If you're listening to this, really stop and go listen to that. Yeah. Oh, it Definitely. was so good, dude. It was over uh, the famous cry of dereliction. That's the scholar's way to say Jesus' last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man. Awesome, insightful episode. Yeah, but, it, the part yeah. about the, the, the atonement. Where Jesus, mm-hmm. he says that Jesus is carrying this in our sins on his back and goes to heaven and stands under the wrath of God and withstands that on our behalf, bro. I've listened Man. to that episode four times this week, and it, that part gets me pumped up every time. The only set of shoulders strong enough ever in the history of the universe mm-hmm. to take God's wrath and keep ticking. Come, Lord. <sighs> anyway, you just got excited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Pentecostal. This is a. <laughs> He did have a, a, what was it, a rock star? He doesn't drink Monster. There was something about something that it says. I don't know what yeah, it was. Yeah, he's tweaking right now. There's a YouTube video, but that rock star hit him, hit him different. That rock star you has just, got him, like, high-speed chicken feed. He's with the business right said, now, dog. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so we're starting in the, the book of Judges. What's at the table today? What's that. at the table? What's at the table? That's what all the merch says, so we have to. Are we like Sorry, Brian, cut that out. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> Are we license agreemented in? Like, yes. Now you have to. You have to say this once per episode. Rock star energy. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh! Help us, Lord. Wow, that's not good. <laughs> um, We're getting sued now. Um, anyway, no. Um, Is there anything else dumb you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We might actually need to edit that. I'm just no, kidding. No, I'm not mad. I'm it's just, all love. I'm just kidding you right meow. So, like, honestly, getting into the material, I, yeah. I, I do. What's at the table? We um we ended our kind of our exodus where the, the people, are they've come into the land, and Joshua has replaced Moses as the leader, and we get to the end of Joshua's life where Joshua tells the people of Israel, right, you're not going to be able to keep the covenant of God. How, how did, uh, sorry, how did you do that? That was, everything was just really jovial. And the most solemn atmosphere was created in this room just now. That was artistic. I, uh, I, well, I, I don't even know how to dwell. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Inside jokes. But yeah. so like there's this transition moment, right? And we're left at the end of Joshua with another transition where it's like Joshua, his life is coming to an end. And who's going to replace him? Right. We have this expectation that there'll be like this next representative. Like, oh, this next dude's, you know, going to be. A, a the new Joshua. Yeah, right. right. A new Moses. And as we pointed out in the last episode, too, one of the questions that we asked, or at least the last Snake Crusher episode, sorry, um, was, is the conquest going to be completed, you know? Yeah. Because in the last episode, or, or the last Snake Crusher episode, the death of Joshua, um, that didn't happen yet. No. No, and, and God has decided that for whatever reason that there's not going to be another Joshua. The, the idea was that he was supposed to be the leader of the people, and you have two leaders that have failed. And so in one, in one way or another, you know, Joshua makes the covenant with with people that he's not supposed to, even though they did lie, but he, he does fail in that area. And so we're picking up in, in Judges, and I guess just to give a brief overview, God has ordained this system as an interim, right? Like, at, in the absence of a Joshua, in the absence of a Moses, God is going to raise up individuals. And he's going to move on them in, in particular ways to accomplish his purpose. His purpose, right? To judge yeah. the, the enemies of God, of God that are in the nation, but also even sometimes to judge the people, right? Right. Hmm. Yeah, so the very first chapter of Judges starts off with a narrative answering that question. So it says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. That starts as like a good sign. I right. feel like we're in, we're in good territory. They probably right? feel a little bit like. Not helpless, but just lost. Like, oh, man, our representative is That's a good point. Yeah. This guy that they've been used to doing that for them is dead. Yeah. 
I didn't even, honestly, I've never even thought about it like that until now. Thank you. Who shall go up first for us to fight against the Canaanites, to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah will go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. That's good. Well, I mean, yeah, but there's also like this. Okay, but why? Because, right, you know, he says, right. like, who's going to go up first? And Judah. He says, Judah. Send Judah up. And then Judah's like, eh, I don't want to go alone. Hey, Simeon, will you come with me? Well, it's you kind know? of this theme that we will see through this whole book. This whole scroll is like they trust God, but they always have this some sort of backup plan or this little flaw. Like, you yeah. did the right thing, but you also did this. Maybe without a, a pure, you know, heart right. or pure motive. Well, because a lot of the time, you know, it's kind of like with everything that we've covered so far, and that's really the business of the snake crusher stuff is we are trying to flesh out or um, bring into view, so to speak, a motif. Right. Right. And a lot of the times that that God gives them commands, it's in the interest of painting a motif. Yeah. And when he tells them to brushstroke in a certain way, they always seem to be either adding something to it or just not doing it at all. And and it's it's a mess up of the motif in a way. At least that's the way it kind of reads to me. But in a way, you I guess you could kind of see it like, well, at least they're buddying up. You know, he's not Unity asking another Canaanite to go up. So there's That's that's right. where I, I see the positivity is is like in in a story full of division amongst brothers, you have unity here. Yeah. Whereas, like, as opposed to, like, the Danites, you know, and the half-tribe of, of um, Manasseh, when they come into land, they're like, oh, we'll, we'll stay here, right? We're, we don't want to go across the Jordan. We'll, this land is good. Yeah. And they get kind of rebuked for that. Well, here it's like at least they're working together to take what God has given them. Right. Yeah. And that's there's kind of an interesting passage here. Like, so the very first king they fight against, his name is Adonai Bezek, which— literally translated in Hebrew, can either mean Lord of Bezek, like Bezek is in the proper place, but it can also mean like Lord of Lightning. So you get this like storm god imagery of Baal, yeah, yeah. who is like the, the head uh, god in their pantheon. So in the same way how we were used to in the Exodus, Pharaoh kind of embodied the serpent in a way. Yeah, you know Adonai Bezek is the is the new new Pharaoh that is in view. And before in the conquest, you remember we had Sihon and Og, and we talked about the the ritual bed of of Og, king of Bashan, that was like that that marriage bed of of Marduk, right? So that we have a new Pharaoh character. So this is a serpent, yeah, and it gets crushed. <laughs> it, well, yeah, pretty it's quickly. Judah going out against, and there's something right. there's something there. Uh, Dalton, what was that? Or sorry, John. I used your your government name, but uh, what what was um what was it you were telling me about this king? There was something in particular. Yeah, so Adonai Bezek, whenever they fight him, um, it's it says that he fled. So they defeated the Karen, the Canaanites and the Parasites, and per, but the, as Adonai Bezek fled, he fled from the fight. They pursued him and caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes, which is kind of odd. But the story gives us some context. In verse 7, there's a quote from Adonai Bezek. He says, 70 kings, interesting number, 70 kings with their thumbs and their uh, big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. This is what's cool. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Hmm. So there's... Something interesting, you remember like way, way, way back whenever, well, I guess not too way, way back. when it, After the exodus, they came to, I think it's Elim, where there was yes. 70 palm trees, yeah. right? And so like, you know, we've we've gone over to how in Genesis 10, there's this table of nations, you know, right. with a list of like 70 nations. And it becomes a, a, a way to, to be able to describe totality of the world, Right. So whenever you see the number 70 described in such a way, the fact that Adonai Bezek boasts of being able to have 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off eating scraps underneath his table seems to basically be his way to say, 
me, the Lord of Lightning, dominates this world. Right. So, like, at this podcast, we all operate from a, what's called a divine council worldview. And this is the idea that, that in one way or another, that Earth reflects what's going on in the, in the spiritual. It reflects what's going on in the heavenly. And we're given this list of, of nations in Genesis, the 70 nations, and it says that God numbered them according to the sons of God, right? And so there's this idea, and shout out to Dr. Heiser once again for all of his scholarly work and material, excuse me, on that. But so the idea is that God placed in stewardship over these nations these other Elohim, right, these sons of God, these heavenly beings, and they have ruled unjustly, right? And so there's almost this idea like, while it is symbolic of this one king on the earthly, he is taking charge over the worldly nations. It's almost this idea with this link to Baal, like maybe that this this heavenly being has brought these other yeah. forces into into alignment underneath him. It's really a way for for him to try to proclaim his being as most high. Yeah, because if all right. the other kings have been subjected and he would think in turn their gods have been subjected as well. The ruler of the nations. But we've all, we've seen throughout our St. Crusher series that God has interest in the nations. Yeah. He, he has divinely decreed that the nations are going to come back to me. Right. See, and that's the amazing part to me. So they bring him to Jerusalem, and he dies there. But Jerusalem isn't a city that they have conquered yet. So it's almost like they, they chop off the big thumbs and the toes of this king that thinks himself to be divine over the nations. Yeah. They bring him to Jerusalem's front gates, you know, in kind of a paraphrasing fashion. It doesn't literally say to his front gates. But you get the feeling that they, like, parade him to Jerusalem and be like, yo, like this dude has done to all of y'all, not only are we doing to him, but we're fitting to do it to you too. And it's almost like like a prophetic word, like this city means something. Even though we haven't conquered it, it's going to mean something. And perhaps there will be a defeat over a ruler of the nations at this city. Yeah, mm. that's a good point. And Jerusalem, literally translated in Hebrew, means city of peace. Although mm. right now in verse 8, not very peaceful. Not very peaceful. <laughs> so the men of Judah fight against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Jerusalem went, went down, or went of men of Judah, so sorry, Men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in in Hebron, uh, formerly Kiriath Arba, and defeated Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai. Mm. A couple of interesting characters. Who are they descended from? Anak. From Anak. Right? So these are are more remnants of of these giant peoples of Canaan. These These are more seeds of the serpent that are still in the land. And if I'm not mistaken, they are not just Anakim in the way that they are descendants of Anak generationally later down the line, but these are three of his sons directly. Mm. So this, from from what I understand, I could be wrong. Either way, uh, you have three guys in this, in this right. area. They're, they're, they're Nephilim. Like, they're, yeah. yeah, not good. And what's interesting about Hebron, this is forecasting a little bit, but Hebron becomes the first capital for Israel once it's established with a king as a nation. Yeah. Isn't so, that where uh, Abraham dwelled too? Uh, yeah, I, I think at least around there. I know that Hebron is the place where buried. I think that's by close to where he buried his wife. I think that's where he bought the cave was in Hebron yeah. for, for where he buried Sarah. Yeah. And then Jacob gets buried in the same area, I think. Yeah, I think you may be right. So it says, from there they went against the inhabitants of Debir, and Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks this place and captures it, I will give him my daughter for a wife. And Othiniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave to him his daughter for a wife. When she came to him, she urged her father for a field, and she dismounted for her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said, give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also the springs of water. So he gives to her these springs, and the rest of the chapter talks about how Judah went up with Simeon, his brother. He kept his word. Um, Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses said, because he drove out from it 
three sons of Anak that uh, we just talked about. My boy Caleb, dude. Can we give a shout-out to that man? He's bad to the bone, bro. At this point, he's like Joshua. The person he was grown up with is dead, and Caleb is still rocking against the Nephilim. This, right. this, this half-son of Judah is coming in. He's going in on these giants. We see this success, and this, you know, it seems all good, but then we see that the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Yeah, and not just them, but Manasseh doesn't drive out, in verse 27, the inhabitants of Beth Shean or its villages, um, and several other places in its village. And then it says, Ephraim didn't drive out Canaanites that lived in Gezer. Zebulun didn't drive out the inhabitants of Ketron and a few other places. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon or a few other places. Naphtali didn't do it. And the very last section that records failure in this conquest showcases something that's very sad. So you remember whenever Dan was named by his mother, or, well, named by Leah, right. um, Dan's name can, can be translated judge, right. for God has judged me and, you know, given me the son or whatever, right? Well, there, verse 34 says that the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. So Dan not only fails to drive them out, but this chapter of conquest failure ends with Dan being driven back by the enemy forces into the hill country. Well, it's weird. It begs the question, like, you know, it's kind of like a moment with God. Like, why? I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to get this land. Like, why, why right. are they not getting the land? And that's where we're going to, uh, I mean, straight up, like the, the angel of the Lord, he says to them, like, didn't I tell you that I would not break my covenant with you, that I would drive out all the nations before you, but you did not keep your end of the bargain. And what's funny, you know, we talked at the beginning how about like Judah and Simeon, how there there was like this like idea of like, well, I mean, but why didn't you just go up? Why did you ask for help? Well, it says that the house of Joseph, for these Amorites that pressed the people of Dan back, rested heavily on the Amorites and subjected them to forced labor. So there's like not the same kind of good partnership that we felt at the beginning. Instead of just killing the Amorites, supposed to be harem, driving them out. They're supposed to be devoted to destruction. Yeah, they're like, well, you know what? Dan can stay driven back in the hill country, and we'll force you to be our slaves. And house of Joseph, I can only assume, would mean Manasseh and Ephraim together. Yeah, the tribes. It's almost like they're taking their brother's inheritance yeah because inheritance has already been allotted out right yeah and it's like instead of taking the land killing these people and then saying like dan come back this is yours it's it's like a usurping almost and the most distasteful part of this chapter is the ending where it doesn't just give like the borders for the israeli tribes but the amorites have borders in the promised land yeah mm-hmm. and and it and it Gives you this awful feeling, and as Trey pointed out in the next chapter, that's where we're at next in the yeah. narrative. The, the, the angel of the Lord appears, and he and he he tells them that they failed to complete the conquest, and he says that I am not any longer going to go before you and drive out the nations, and their gods will be a snare to you. Yeah, that's uh I mean, that's not. It's it leaves you with this feeling like this is not what it was supposed to be. The promise was is that you're going to give this land to Abraham's descendants forever. But now there's Amorites here, and you've told us that you're not going to go before us and that you're not going to drive these nations out. And so it, it leaves you with this need like, where's where's a Joshua? Where's a Moses? Someone, There needs to be an answer to this problem. And the place that he comes uh, to them and tells them this is renamed Bochim, which means like weepers. Yeah, it says that the you people know. of Israel, they cry out and weep bitterly before the Lord. There's like this sorrow, it, yeah. it, and it leaves you on this bitter note. And the author is careful to point that out. He gives like a recount of the death of Joshua in this chapter. He says whenever Joshua dismisses the people, the people of Israel each went to his own inheritance to take possession of the land, and they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Caleb, yeah. right? It, doesn't this leave with you like a feeling like when the Israelites, like Joseph, right, he saves Egypt? It leaves you with that, but there arose a Pharaoh 
yeah. did not remember Joseph. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> That's yeah. what this 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 gives you. It's like, but there arose a generation that did not remember Joshua. Yeah. And because of that, because they don't remember that, they're not going to follow Joshua's God, just like Joshua told them that they could, that they would do, that they were going to leave Yahweh, that they were going to to worship these other gods, that they could not fulfill their commitment. Man, and that's the very next verse. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. And something that I want to point out before we move on into this section of the Judges is that, you know, the the importance of this for me is like that we just talked about with Adonai Bezek, Lord of Lightning, or Lord of Bezek, how there's like this imagery where he, he tries to prop himself up as a divine representative of the heavens and establish a pagan mirror on earth, right? And in the same fashion... God has blessed his people and given them an outline of a land that spans from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean all the way up to Anatolia, right, where the Assyrians are and southward down towards Egypt. So this huge, huge land. And part of this conquest idea isn't just that God's going to give them a big land, but their borders are stretching out to all of the major empires of that time as establishing yeah. God's supremacy on the earth. And God's kind of showing us here, like, you know, if you want this conquest, if you want what I have, you can't you can't serve Baal. Yeah. I think that the most, yeah, the most important part of this was, it's like Judah conquered this king, this Baal of, of, of Jerusalem, but Baal still wins because yeah. they end up worshiping Baal, right? They they don't honor God instead they worship Baal and it's like this, much like it was these Amorites are left in the land over here and these Canaanites are over here. This idea is that like, you let Baal stay, and that's it's so true. Like Baal and Ashtara, Ashtaroth, however you want to say it, they're literally snares. Like yeah, so often from here on out. Yeah, and that that begins right like right now, you know. And, and, and there's a recount in chapter 3 of those nations that were left. So the five lords of the Philistines were all still there. They pretty much didn't get touched yeah. in the conquest. At, it, well, they did. Slight, Judah went in and did some. But the five lords of the Philistines are there, the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Labo Hamath. So they still have, like, claim state. To this area of Hermon. Hermon. It's got like this cosmic significance. Yeah. This place with that has this generational iniquity where the, this terrible thing happened. Like that should have been redeemed by now. That should have been taken and conquered. That should be in Yahweh's territory. But it's not. Yeah. So it says they lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites. The Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. All the ites. And their <laughs> <laughs> All the ites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives. And of their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And they're marrying. So they joined themselves not just to the gods, but to the people that are ruled by them. Yeah. And it's showing us, like, if it's up to the people, they're going to fail. Well, they've already failed. Like, right? They've already committed iniquity. They're already mixed. Now what happens? Right. And they have a few judges in this chapter that God raises up to deliver them. There's Ehud, there's Shamgar, there's Othiniel. And where we'll pick up in the next chapter is uh, with the judge that, seems in, out of place. in a way, just kind of brings shame. Yeah, it Israel. seems out of order. Great shame. This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. We pray you're enjoying the show. If you are, feel free to leave us a good rating, share our podcast with a friend, and follow us on your podcasting platform.
If you'd like to support the show, follow our Patreon or check out our social media for updates on merchandise. So grab a seat, kick back, and let's get back into what's at the table. Yeah, so it starts off in in chapter 4, like we do have a judge over Israel, which is one of these things that God has raised up to deliver them and quite literally to judge over them, but it's a woman. And and it's really out of place because I let me just say this. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, to me it kind of feels like if you and your wife are, are are cruising down the street and she sees some people oppressing and beating up on someone and you're like, Oh, wow. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And she's like, yo, let's hop out the car. We can take them. And you <laughs> sit in the car and you let her go take them on. That's that's kind of what this feels like to me for Israel, yeah. that it's, there is no man among them yeah. looking around, uh, acting as a prophet. Well, and, and she's recorded as a prophetess. prophetess. It's Dude. almost like an Eden thing for me, right? Like It's like Adam letting Eve, you know, have like this conversation heat. with a serpent. And even it's like a failure of a man to stand in the place of a man. Well, and that's the shameful thing. She has to kind of kind of do that. In verse uh, 6, it says, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor. So she has to, like, call out a dude to be like, Go get your boys. Whose name means lightning. Like he's supposed to be it's like a masculine name. This right. this name it means like it's supposed to you're supposed to be the guy, dude. And he's not. Yeah. Well, he does the thing that I did at the zip line in Mexico with my wife. Because <laughs> I'm scared of heights. I'm gonna bust myself oh, out too, here. Dude. I'm like, I really don't want to go zip line. She's like, please. She's on our honeymoon. She's like, please go. You can go with me. They let us ride together. I'm like, all right, all right, fine. So we get there, and then the dude's like, no, you, you can't go. I'm like, what? He's like, you're too big. You have to ride on your own. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me right uh, now. That sounds like a scene out of a nightmare. Yeah, it was definitely a nightmare, freaking hundreds of feet above the ground on a cord, like standing <laughs> on the edge of wet concrete with no harness. It was not good. Anyway, so she tells him to do this, and, and Barak says to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. <laughs> but if you won't go with me, then now I won't here's go. the connection to the story. <laughs> okay, Mr. Lightning, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like in in modern day terms, we would kind of look at him like, "All right, bro, you're kind of a punk." Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, kudos to Deborah because in the absence of a man, she sees the problem and she's yeah. like, "Hey, let's go." And she even tries to defer authority to the place where yeah. it's supposed to be. But the dude's a punk. And so she ends up operating in this in this in this place where she's basically leading Israel. Well, and the and you know I'll give it to him, coming up against nine hundred chariots of iron, sounds like a tall task. I mean, it is right? a tall task. But dude, we just read like the previous judge before him, Shamgar killed six hundred Philistines with an ox goad. Right. I mean, like the the the. the there's, it's not like there's a, a absence of history of, of like God moving on these people in mighty ways. I like the way she says this. Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Like, get up. Yeah, and she even tells him, like, well, basically, like, all right, well, since you've played the role of a coward, God's not going to give him directly into your hand. He's going to give him into the hands of a woman. Mm. That's exactly what happens. So Sisera, the commander of the army that, Barak is fighting against on behalf of the Israelites is running away from this fight. God routes 900 iron chariots for the people of Israel. Huge feat. They rout him. Sisera's fleeing. And this lady's like, oh, hey, you can come inside my tent and hide. And he's like, oh, okay, bet. So he goes in and he's like, you know, just cover me up with the blanket. And if anybody asks if I've been here, I, I haven't been here. She's like, all right, cool. He puts the blanket over his head and then literally drives a temp peg through his head. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I see this shirt that's like, uh, if you can't handle me at my judges such and such, then you don't deserve my proverbs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, that. it doesn't get any more like snake crushery than that. Yeah. Like this woman literally 
has the snake lay down, drives a tent peg through his head. And, like, what a picture does that paint, right? Wow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's good. Because there's going to be a snake that's going to have a stake run through his head. Really? Straight up. Quite literally. I mean, yeah. it just reminds me of these shirts that we got on, dude. These Snake Crusher shirts, like, like Dalton's got on it. And, uh, it's so good. So, anyway, in Judges 5, the Israelites, um, yeah, there's a song here. Um, I don't know. I feel kind of conflicted about this song. I'm going to read through it just real quick for the audience. That the leaders took lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord, which really feels sarcastic to me. I don't know. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched in the region of Edom, the earth trembled and heavens dropped and clouds dropped water. Mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who rode on, ride on white donkeys, who sit on rich carpets, who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched God's people. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, and break out in a song. Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Ebenoam. Then they marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched for me against the mighty. From Ephraim their route marched down to the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Makir marched down the commanders. And those from Zebulun who bear the lieutenant's staff, princes of Issachar, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. Just taking a pause. The gauntlet's being thrown down. Dude, this is like an Abrahamic blessing kind of moment where, like, some people are getting good blessings. Right. Some people are getting, like, these call-outs. Like, well, she's calling them out like, you, you, played, st- you yeah. played the role of a coward. You, st- you stayed with your ships. Well, you know, these, these people of Zebulun, they risk their lives. We were talking about this divine council worldview. There might be some of that in view here. Verse 19 says, The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs. See the galloping, the galloping of the steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. This is the first time the angel of the Lord has been mentioned since he smashed out of the conquest. Yeah. And it's him speaking directly to this prophetess, saying to this Miraz, curse them. Dead God. Yeah. Kind of intense, right? The angel of the Lord is a savage. But this is why. Because they did not come to to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of the women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. <laughs> Dog, she is... struck Sisera and crushed his head. There's that yeah. Eden language you were talking about. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. 
he fell and lay still between her feet. And she repeats the lines. So, you know. Between her feet, he fell. That, I, everything about this. Just Something's screams. a little like snake crusher. The, the last episode that we just did with Dr. Gates, like, I don't know, it just, it kind of hyperlinks with, with, in my mind. But we, we end this, this story with Deborah. It's like, where, no, where there couldn't be a man found in Israel to do what needed to be done. This, this woman, Deborah, she does. Yeah. And she, and she operates for the first time. You have a woman off, operating in this place of profit where it's like she is the go-between now between God and the people, between the angel of the Lord and the people. That, go Deborah, right? Man, no doubt. And in the next chapter, we have uh, a new oppressor, the people of Midian, the distant cousins of the Israelites, team up with the Amalekites, the very first group of people <laughs> that harassed them on their way into the promised land, and they start camping up against Israel every time they plant crops. And as soon as the crops grow, they right in they forcibly them. take the crops from Israel, so they're plundering them. But again, why? It's because of idolatry. God hasn't abandoned his people for no reason. They've given themselves over to the gods of the nations and quite literally the gods of the nations and their people are plundering them, Yeah, right? This is what it means. It's like a contrast. If you want to serve those gods, this is how they will rule you. And Man, it also that seems is so good, dude. That reminds me of the conversation we were having yesterday. It's like that call of sin and, and when you answer that, it's like there's no peace to be found there. When you, when you bat out of that God, he'll stomp your head. It's also starting to seem like when you, you know, fight a nation and beat them with physical force, it seems to only temporarily fix the problem. And I think we see that. Especially when you don't do what you're supposed to do, right? right? Like you don't finish the job, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. And so God calls another judge out. But specifically in this case, it's by the angel of Yahweh. So the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth at Orpha, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. He says this to a guy that's hiding in a winepress. <laughs> Something feels like there's a sermon in there somewhere. Oh, man, no doubt. And Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying, Did the Lord not bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, This angel of the Yahweh is called the Lord again. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? And he said to him, Please, my Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. What's funny is, mm. he's recounting this Egypt narrative, right? And Gideon's kind of like Moses here. Moses is like, well, I can't talk. You know, and God's like, yeah. bro, I made the mouth. Excuses. He's like, I, I've got your back. And then he's like, well, I mean, I really can't talk. I mean, I really can't talk. He's like, oh, well, all right, your brother Aaron's on his way. And he's like, well, can you just send somebody else? <laughs> you know, he's like, and then your Gideon's like, uh, I'm kind of like the weakest. Well, and we see God choosing the weakest. Like we see God choosing the, the, the weakest clan in Manasseh and the least of his father's house. I would. What does that actually mean? I'd assume it means like the youngest, like God well, picking the weak. It, it, I mean, it, it definitely means, like, that God chooses, and this is a consistent theme through Scripture, he elevates what is considered weak. Humble, weak. Right. And right. and in doing so, it's his glory that's shown, right? Right. He, he chooses these, these humble objects, you know, these humble vessels, and when he, when he goes with them, whenever the, his spirit is with them, they do mighty things, and right. it's attributed to him and not to them. Right, exactly. God gets the glory right god gets the the credit well and gideon does something that's like kind of courageous he goes by night and he starts ripping down like bale altars right yeah. and then whenever <laughs> there so gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the lord had told him 
but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So it's like, okay, well, I mean, I'm glad you did something, you know, but you were you were afraid. And so whenever they find out that Asherah was cut down and the altar of Baal beside it was broken down in this town, the townspeople are mad, and they say, who did it? And they searched and inquired, and they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. So the man of the town say to Gideon's dad, give us your son that he will die, for he has broken the altar of Baal and cut down Asherah who is mm. beside it. And Joash said to all man, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Man, <clears throat> so his dad, like, gives the most stellar defense of him. He's like, yo, if your god is actually a god, then let him actually come down here and do something about it. Right. But if he's not, then... Let any of you that contend to him be put to death by tomorrow morning. Let's go. Are you really going to have faith in this? Yeah. God. And so it says that the spirit of the Lord uh, clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abyssalites were called out to follow him, and they sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. So the rest of Gideon's story can be summarized in this. God whittles all of Gideon's forces down to 300 unqualified men. The real 300. The real 300. Not like that Hollywood movie. This that's, is the real 300. That's right. Yeah, yeah. the Spartans were in, in incredibly wicked people. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he whittles them down to three unqualified, 300 unqualified men to go against uh, an encampment of people that look like locusts on the ground. There's so many of them. And, you know, and he wins. God gives deliverance for him, and Gideon defeats them, and he is delivered from the hand of the Midianites. And then Judges chapter 9 gives us this, like, conspiracy of, like, fighting in between Gideon's sons for, for rulership over the people of Israel. Because the people tried to make Gideon king. Yeah. And Gideon says, no, no. let the Lord rule over Israel. That's right. And, Amen. But he has 70 sons, Right. There, there's 70 of them, and one from amongst his sons, well, he's got other plans, right? And so he tried, he, in the place of Shechem, he goes and he fights against his brothers to take leadership, to take the throne. Yeah, and it, God raises up a few more judges. Until we hit Judges 13, we have an interesting one born. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites who's named Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Mm. And the angel of, your story. Yeah, right. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you will conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold... You shall conceive and bear a son. No razor will come upon his head, for the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So then his wife, you know, or the, the woman tells her husband, a man of God came to me. His appearance was like the very appearance of the angel of God. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, you will conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink. Don't eat anything clean. The child will be a Nazarite. And Manoah prayed, and, and he said, Let the man that you sent come to us again and teach us what we are to do with the child that's been born. He's supposed to be set apart. In a, in a people that's already supposed to be set apart. In a divinely foretold birth. Yes. And mm -hmm. notice what it said. He will begin to set the people free. from the. That's right. He doesn't say that he will set them free. He said he will begin to set them free. Mm. I, I love this passage, too. So Manoah says to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? Because he tries to get him to eat this goat that he's going to prepare. And he says, if you make me a goat, I'm not going to eat it, but offer something to the Lord. Mm. You know, offer a burnt offering to the Lord. And um, anyway, so the angel of Yahweh says to him in response, 
Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went upward to heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground, and the angel of Yahweh appeared no more to them. So Samson grows, and Samson's called a Nazarite, and we'll paraphrase the rest of his life here. Uh, a Nazarite vow is something that was laid out to us in the earlier Chronicles of the Torah, and basically there's a few guidelines. You eat nothing of the fruit of the vine, you drink no strong drink, and a razor never comes upon your head, and you never eat anything unclean. You never touch anything dead. Touch. Right, yeah, don't touch anything dead either, right? And Samson, like, is born divinely of Dan, and... Oh, man, I don't want to be, like, heretical. But Samson's just doesn't turn out very good. Right. He starts out the right. gate, like, marries a Philistine lady. Doesn't work out with her. When he's supposed to begin to defeat the <laughs> the Philistines. He's always towing this line. So when he gets with the first Philistine lady, and it's not great, instead of saying, like, oh, man, I should have picked an Israelite, he's like, let's double down. Yeah. I'll get another Philistine lady. So he gets another Philistine lady named Delilah, and... Things don't work out where they're <laughs> well there either. He breaks his Nazarite vow by eating honey from the carcass of a lion. So, not good. Just not good. Yeah. Although it does have a like prostitutes. It's like yeah. Not well, yeah. Exactly. One thing that we we yeah. failed to mention thus far though is is that the spirit of God comes upon Samson in these moments and he exhibits unreal strength. Yeah. Like, he is a warrior like Israel has never seen. Yeah. I mean, it takes a job cra- out of a yeah. donkey and kills, you know, a thousand Philistines. And- yeah. I mean, this guy, when when the Spirit of God moves on him, he's unreal. Like, when we look at his highlight reel versus, like, you know, <laughs> the, the things that happened at home, like, what happened at home wasn't great, but when the Spirit of God was on him, he accomplished right. mighty things. The dude catches, what is it, 300 foxes and the ties, ties them torched. together. Yeah, and burns down a Philistine city. I mean, the, he's absolutely unreal. He's like a comic book hero for the Israelites. Exactly, and 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 honestly, it's it's interesting you point that out. He is like a comic book hero. He doesn't behave himself morally in a way that is loyal to Yahweh. He's consistently breaking his Nazarite vow, and and God uses him anyway to bring awesome works of deliverance. And his life tragically ends. Because he, although he lies previously to Delilah more than once, yeah. he finally tells her the source of his strength. It's the one piece left of, of his vow. Nazarite of vow his that he has not broken. Yeah, of him being set apart. He's it's bra- the broken one every thing other part he has of left. Yeah. Every, yeah, every other part of his covenant's broken, and that one thing's left. And, and he tells her, like, okay, well, if you cut my hair, my strength will leave me. So she's like, bet. He goes to sleep. She seduces him. Cuts his hair, and the Philistines come in, and they gouge out his eyes after they cut his hair, and they bind him with each of his hands strapped to pillars in in a pagan temple. You would have thought, like, you know, with him, like, he's not dumb. Like, he should have known, like, she's trying, she's out to get you. I think that there's part of it that's like the arrogance of Samson. Right. It's like, just, he's forgot right. that it was, it was God that was doing these things. It wasn't you. Right. You know, and you've broken these other parts of your vows, and you're getting willy-nilly with this one because you, you forgot that it was God moving upon you. I think that's a good point. Like, he starts out by breaking the rules that would seem smaller, like, you know, don't marry Philistines, blah, blah, blah. Right. He gets there, and then he touches the lion, then he does, does all these things, and eventually, like, you know, I think he thinks, like, yeah, like, well, you can cut my hair. It won't matter. Right. Man, and and the the, the sorry part of it, too, is, like, you know, again, we have we have this this imaging thing in view where Israel is the the proxy representative of Yahweh on the earth, just as these other nations and their kings are propping themselves mm. up to be the, the divine proxy. So you have God absolutely ravaging the Philistines through this man. Oh man! I mean, picks up a jawbone of a donkey, kills a thousand of them. He carries the gates of a city yeah, up he, a hill. Yeah, the gates of a city is not like the the inside yeah, door of your bedroom. No, it's not you like the, a a chain link fence gate. It's right. this huge stone and wood, 
you know, and he carries it. The posts even rips it out of the ground, carries it up a hill. Keep in mind, these gates are intended to be shut, locked, and protected to keep it from an invasion. <laughs> right. These to keep fortified. From that. Yeah. And all, all of this crazy stuff has happened. And the tragic thing, after his hair's been cut and it gouged out his eyes, the lords of the Philistines in Judges 16, verse 23 say, yeah. they gather to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. It's a reversal of the entire conquest that we've seen so far. Yahweh has delivered these people into our hands, right? And the Philistines are saying, Dagon has delivered you and your people into our hands. And they literally call him a ravenger of their country. He has killed many of us. So their hearts are merry. And they say, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand in between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. (laughs) Now the house was full of men and women. All of the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who looked on Samson while he entertained. So Samson calls to God, and he says, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. You know, it could. he seems to be doing the right thing. He's also avenging himself. But, you know, at the end, he does, you know. What does he say? Look on me. Like, there's an idea, like, it's coming back to memory. Like, oh, God, look on me just one more time. Right. Don't let this be, don't let it in like this. It's almost like Jacob. Like, you have kept me all of my days. Yeah, just look on me this one more time. You, he remembers. And I, I think that there's something here. And I don't want to flesh it out too much. But I want to leave, like, a, I guess a parenthesis here or an, an asterisk or something because I want to get back to it as we progress through the. There is something prophetic about carrying gates up a hill mm. and then being like displayed and mocked, right? But that being the way by which God does the thing that he said he was going to do. It's, it's him being displayed and mocked in this temple as a sacrifice to their God that God uses to bring down the temple. There, there's, there's images there that from the backside you can look, you can look back and say, "Oh, wow, there, God was doing something there." Yeah, there may even, yeah, exactly. As Samson's life dies. He he ends uh, tragically. Takes quite a few Philistines with him. Praise God. Um, <laughs> but in chapter eighteen, uh, another apostasy. Dan like. Just to paraphrase and summarize it, sets up like a false religion and unto, unto Yahweh. And they set up a carved image for themselves. And this is the real kicker. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Danites until the day of captivity. Hmm. So Moses' descendants defect away from Yahweh to minister as priests unto this carved image that Dan has set up in his territory. Yeah. Not Moses were still alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It would be if Joshua was still alive, there'd be quite literally hell to pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he'd, he'd he'd get it in. And the very last story that we'll cover is just a very odd story of a Levite man that has a concubine and the the men of of Benjamin do something horrible. This story is just like Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham and Lot. So he says to, um, so the man rose up to go. His father-in-law pressed him, and he stayed a night there again. On the fifth day, he rose early in the morning to depart. This is this Levite. He's a priest. And the girl, his concubine, the girl's father said, strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. So they stay again. Now, behold, the day has waned towards evening. Please stay the night, and early in the morning make your journey home. But the man would not stay the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he arrived opposite of Jerusalem. He has with him a couple of saddle donkeys and his concubines with him. 
And when they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and their servants said to his master, when they were near Jerusalem, Come now, let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and stay the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners that do not belong to Israel, but will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of those places to spend the night at Gibeah or Ramah. So they reject Jerusalem as a staying place because it's not it's not dominated by God's people. It's pagan. So they say, surely the better place to stay is with God's people. So they go to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. They turn aside there and stay the night. And an old man was coming from his work in the field in the evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim. He was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Gibeonites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler open in the open square of the city. And the old man says, where are you going? They say, we're passing from Bethlehem and Judah to remote parts of the hill country. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for, you know, so they they turn aside basically to, to stay in for this stranger from the hill country of Ephraim. And Gibeah makes their hearts merry and worthless fellows, it says, surround the house beating on the door. And they say to the old man, bring out the man that come into your house that we may know him. Yikes. They this, do this is like a King James no. Yeah. <laughs> they do the same thing that Sodom and Gomorrah does. They say, bring out this Levite yeah. priest so that we can rape him. Yeah. I find it funny, like what you were saying, like it goes from Jerusalem to this. Like Yerushalayim, like, like you said, like it means like city of peace. Like it's like almost like this image of peace, and then it goes to Sodom I think and the, Gomorrah. Yeah, definitely. But also in that is that what the the story seems to be painting is is inside of this land God's people have become worse yes. than the foreigners. Well, yeah, and and the story. Sorry to cut you off, but the the guy does the same thing, except there is no angel of Yahweh interceding, right? Or sorry, not angel of Yahweh, but there are no angels interceding. So. The guy says, behold, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Violate them. Do what seems good to you. But against this man, don't do this outrageous thing. So the wooden listened to him. They seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. and They killed her. It's horrible. And, you know, Israel takes up war against Benjamin and well, what happens is that guy takes his concubine, divides her into 12 pieces, sends a piece of her to every tribe, and the tribes are like, this thing is so bad that they all ride together on these people, and they, and they annihilate them. But as to what I was saying before, that that's the whole point of this story is to show that, like, you remember how bad Sodom and Gomorrah was? Right. This is worse. It reminds <laughs> me of what, you know, we read, you know, a couple books later on where it says, like, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented, like, had they seen these signs? Yeah, the, it, the people of God have fallen that yeah. far, and the and the very last, the very last verse in the whole scroll or the whole book of Judges ends with telling us this Sodom and Gomorrah thing. That in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Which is kind of strange <laughs> because you're like, well, there's no king. Well, yeah, there's never been a king, but we've had these little. Snippets, Oracle right? Or, we've had these little yeah. these little things that say like, "Oh, well, maybe there should be." So what we're left with in this snake crusher series, laying in this plane, is no snake crusher, but painted that even amongst God's people, there is desperate need for one to come. Right. Yeah, and on in like relation to that, and for the purpose of this episode, like to to wrap everything up, like we've had these little pictures given, right? There's this. Judah conquering, you know, the, the Baal, right? The Baal of Jerusalem. Then there's Deborah. She drives a stake through the head of a snake and it between her feet, right? And then Gibeon, he's the least of his tribe, but he's picked, right? Got it's it's that humble beginning story that's so familiar to us. Samson, right? The spirit of God moves on him, a divinely foretold birth. He wrecks in his death, wrecks the enemy, right? There, there's all of these things, all of these pieces and, and judges that if you pull them out from the backside or, you know, looking looking back in, it's like, okay, yeah, we need a little bit of that. We need that to happen. 
we need this. It's it's all these ingredients that are getting picked out, and the, you know, placed into this mosaic that we're creating. Well, it's like God's creating. You know, Judges twenty one twenty five, the very last verse of the scroll. You know, it it really summarizes what's going on. Like this is what happens when a nation does not have a righteous lead. Yeah, and they like, do what's right in their own eyes. Right, they do exactly what. What is right in his own eyes? Like that, it's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's not supposed to be in your own eyes. It was never supposed to be with Moses, Joshua, any of the judges. And that's yeah. so. When you look at all these judges that we've talked about, you get this. Each one of them, you get one small picture, and then you're looking at this king that it doesn't exist, right? But judges clearly says like, they're, they're, we need a king. You know, there, there's no king to r- rule over us. It's like, well, we need to pick. We need all of these these pictures to come together, right? And, well, and to make that king. And the, the king that was among you left because of your disobedience. The angel of Yahweh was among you. He was driving out the inhabitants of the land, and you, you went against him. Yeah, You joined yourself to these people. You aligned yourself to their gods. You set up statues for them in your villages. You gave your children to them. Yeah, And you accepted theirs for your own. And... Like you 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 wanted to be under the nations, and that's why you don't have a king. Right. And that in the next set of of scrolls that we're going to go through is going to be fleshed out in greater yeah. detail. Yeah, just landing the plane like it sets us up for a king. Yeah, while things things are terrible. Apparently, a conquering king, like one who's going to conquer. Well, things are terrible. Yeah, things are terrible now. But the idea is that if we get this king, he's going to solve the problems. He's going to do all these things. And he's going to solve this problem. He's going to judge his people and keep them in, in line, right? Right. Well, well, that's what's at the table. Yeah. In the words of uh, the uh, Dr. The Christopher. Yeah, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> in the words of our last guest, um, that's what's at the table. So, Godspeed. Blessings. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by the content of the show. If you enjoyed, subscribe and give us a like on Facebook. If you want to support the podcast, go to our Patreon, At The Table Podcast. Until next time, thank you and God bless.